welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Emma Azon-Giacometti and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. TICT is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in our beautiful state of Tasmania. And if you're a regular listener to Talking Tourism, we want to very warmly welcome you back. If you're a first-time listener and you enjoy today's episode, remember there's now around 100 Talking Tourism conversations available from wherever you like to access your podcasts, or you can jump onto our website, tict.com and access them there. Today's episode is brought to you by our partner, Moobrew. Moobrew is the official beer of the Tasmanian tourism industry. Inspired by the art, creativity and innovation of Mona, the Moobrew range of contemporary lagers and ales are brewed in Tasmania and designed to be enjoyed while experiencing all the state has to offer. So thanks to Moobrew for your generous support of TICT and for helping to make this episode of Talking Tourism possible. Today's conversation is a really important one to coincide with International Women's Day 2022, and we're chatting with Tara Howell, the founder, director and experience leader at Blue Derby Pods Ride, and Emily Hopwood, the sales and marketing manager at West Coast Wilderness Railway. To give you a bit of background into these two women, Tara has a long history in Tasmanian tourism and marketing, having spent six years as the Director of Marketing at Echelon Marketing and then S Group, during which time she also founded Change Overnight, a unique hotel in Launceston where guests had the opportunity to give back to one of eight causes. In 2016, she founded Blue Derby Pods Ride, a luxury adventure mountain biking experience that combines Tasmania's world-class Blue Derby trail network with private pod accommodation and exceptional local food and wine. Emily is a born and bred Tasmanian and started her tourism career in Hobart before relocating to Melbourne to work at the Hotel Windsor. Several years and 16 revenue-managed properties later, she returned to Hobart and has enjoyed challenging herself with leadership roles at RACT and the City of Hobart, but found a new passion in marketing, working with Tourism Tasmania and now with West Coast Wilderness Railway. Both Tara and Emily serve as directors on the TICT board, with Emily also representing Women in Tourism and Hospitality Tasmania on that board. So Tara and Emily, with all of that preamble and very impressive preamble at that behind us, welcome to Talking Tourism. It's so wonderful to have you both here with us. Thanks for having us. And this is the first time, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, that I've ever interviewed two people at once. So if we are fighting for attention today, I think that's a good thing. It just shows how passionate you might be about this topic as we celebrate International Women's Day this year. And as you certainly know, and as our listeners may or may not know, International Women's Day celebrates each year the social, economic, cultural and political achievements of women. It marks a call to action for accelerating women's equality. Can I ask you, and I might start with you first, Tara, why this is important in the context specifically of the tourism industry? Well, look, um, International Women's Day has a long history and I, I think, you know, in short, it is a very important day to celebrate women and women's achievements and women's perspective on those achievements. But the reason I think, one of the reasons why I think it is so important is because statistically, uh, there's a lot of research that demonstrates when you have diversity in decision-making at any level in an organisation, you are going to get the best outcomes. 
And when we're talking about diversity, probably we're going to talk about women today, but obviously diversity can mean a lot of things. And so um, over time, you know, we found more women finding them spots in decision-making places and that means we're getting better and better outcomes. So that's why it's important for our industry because we want the best outcomes, obviously, for our industry and for our businesses. So uh, the more women in those places, the better. Yeah, awesome. And Emily, you've got a long background in the tourism industry as well. Why do you think International Women's Day and this celebration today and hopefully not just today but moving forward is so important in the context of the industry in which we work? Yeah, I think um, I'd agree with everything that Tara's just said, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're over-indexed coming into the entry level of tourism with women, um, but yet we're under-indexed at the top of um, our, our industry. So we really want to be able to break down some of those barriers. And one of the ways that we can do that is to really celebrate those achievements and hold up women who have succeeded and really um, show both genders and all diversities that we can do it. And and we also need to help everyone understand that women at the top is basically really good for the bottom line. So, mm. you know, all of that diversity, the, the more we can hold women up and, and show the world how diversity helps at the top, um, and how it filters right through to the bottom line, I think the, the better off we are. So ideally it wouldn't just be this one day, but I think this is a fantastic opportunity for us to do it. Absolutely. It's a great start and, and a great segue there too um, into the theme of this year's International Women's Day, which is break the bias. Tara, does a bias exist and what would it mean to break it within our industry? I love the theme of this year's International Women's Day at Women's Day, and I uh, absolutely there is a bias. Absolutely, um, what it is in the tourism industry, and it's probably along all industries. In fact, is actually an unconscious bias. And what I mean by that is we um, males and females, without knowing it, we apply an unconscious bias when it comes to hiring and decision making in our organisations, in our industry, without knowing it, we are hiring people who are like us and celebrating people who are like us because that's what we know. So what that that hashtag or that, that positioning line for this um, day this year, it's so important. It is one of the keys to um, progressing women through their career and um, stopping this unconscious bias without people knowing it. They're, they're putting women aside. Yeah. So as an unconscious bias, is it something that we can break? How do we become conscious of it and then work towards strategically breaking it? Well, the first step is recognising we all have an unconscious bias. Even if you think you don't, you do. I have an unconscious bias. You have an unconscious bias. Both of you do. We all do. Um, but we ne- so then we can we can do training and learning and educating ourselves on how to um, – yeah, not apply those biases. You know, uh, an example probably is the best way of explaining it. You know, uh, when we're hiring without knowing of an unconscious bias, we will favour people who are our personality, mm-hmm. who are like us, who have experience like us, gender, skin colour, uh, all those things without knowing it. And so it's really important to going into hiring situations because of that first point I made, uh, diversity gets best results. And what Emily said Um we need to remove those and say, okay, what's best fit for this role and not favour what we have. So the first step is education, understanding that and acceptance that we all have an unconscious bias. Emily, would you agree? And do you think 
is Tara right in saying that you and I too have an unconscious bias? <laughs> is that fair? <laughs> 100 percent yeah definitely um we we, we all have it um it's just being about being able to recognize it and own it and know where your blind spots are and being really open to those i think you know going through life and being able to actually recognize them and and never think that you're a finished piece of work um just constantly learning and keeping an eye out for those blind spots is really important um i think as well you know I'd like to think that it's 100% unconscious bias and I think that we really need to focus this year's effort on unconscious bias. Um, but I think there is still elements and pockets where we need to be brave and call out that conscious bias as well. Mm. It doesn't exist by any means to the same level, um, but it's certainly still out there. And I, I think that part of this conversation needs to be to recognise it and have the bravery to call it out. Okay. Can you talk a little bit more about that conscious bias? What does that look like um, for someone to call it out? How would they identify it in the first place? And and what would it look like to, to work towards breaking it? I think it's any action that, that's not purely inclusive, that's driven through perhaps being a little bit frightened of what the outcome might be if you, if, you know, if you take the safe option, the, the option that, as Tara said, feels like us, um, sometimes that's that's done consciously and, and not mm. done as a blind spot. It's actually taken as the, as the safer route. And I think as people at, at the um, at the decision-making table, we need to be able to call that out and to be able to say, well, perhaps you're making this decision based on um, what you feel is safe mm. and, and maybe today we need to take a risk and that can be on, on any number of levels at any different levels of any business. So with this year's theme being around break the bias, do you think that's specific to the current environment? Is, is the bias worse than it's ever been? Is it getting better? Is it just particularly important in the context of the current time and, and what's going on around the world? Tara, could you speak to that? Why is it so important this year? It's an interesting one. You know, I can. I feel I can only speak to that question with the experience that I've had, and you know, being in the industry for a decade, I suppose. <laughs> um, what I can say, you know, being in the workforce even that long, um, unconscious bias is very strong, and, and obviously, there's conscious bias exactly as Emily has just explained, like perfectly. Um, but I. I think what's happening now is we are living with the hard work that the generation before us did. And it is now time for our generation to make the next change to bring our workplaces fair and the best they can be. So that's a big change and mm -hmm. that's going to require a big change in conscious and unconscious bias. So it's it's really important theme and I think it's, yeah, it's very necessary right now. Yeah. yeah, I think you make a good point that it's not as if we're starting at the very bottom of this conversation and no, no work's been mm. done beforehand because you're absolutely right. The work has been done and not necessarily by our generation or even by people who are currently working or living around us. Um, but the foundation has been laid and now it's time to actually recognise that there's still some ongoing issue and, and what we need to do to, to mitigate anything moving forward. Is there 
there, and Emily, I might throw to you for this question, is there such a thing, should we care about equality for women, first of all? And if we should, what are the key priorities for achieving that or whatever its um, superior counterparties in your mind, uh, particularly in the tourism industry here in Tassie? I think, Emma, equality is a pretty lofty goal. Um, I would love us to achieve that, but I think that's a very deep-rooted cultural change that needs to occur, and it's not just women. Um, We need to look Mm. at, to achieve true equality, we need to look at how we treat men in the workplace um, and and get complete equality. Uh, That's starting to talk about child-rearing and flexible workplaces and, you know, how we tackle having meetings and board meetings and where we travel and when we travel. Um, Is it achievable for this generation? I think we can make absolute headway and I think we should fight to make absolute headway. Um, But I I think it's a really long journey and it's probably something that will um, always have to be worked on because Mm. culture will always change. You know, the pandemic threw us curveballs. We had more women working from home globally than we had men working from home. And I think there's a real reason to look in the mirror and ask why was that and understand that. Um, that's not going to be solved overnight. It may not be solved in the next decade, but we can continue to work through those things and understand them better. That so, probably doesn't answer your question. That well, well no, I think it, it raises a new one. How how do we start to make that headway if we're um, satisfied that perhaps we won't see perfect equality in the next generation? And I think you're right, that that's an okay thing to be satisfied with. What sort of headway can we make realistically and what would it take to achieve that level of headway? I think we need to listen to what people need and want. Um, I think we need to be able to ask those questions from both men and women to understand what an equal workplace might look like. Um, Like I said, that's a cultural change. Mm. That's not not something that you can mandate necessarily. I think targets are probably a part of that and for us to set really meaningful targets for men and women to get there, whether that's um, leadership at the table, whether that's for you know, external candidates for jobs. You know, these are little things as well that other businesses can make um, themselves to help them set themselves up on that path. Um, but there's, we also need to, um, you know, really, I suppose, be re- proactive about creating an inclusive culture mm. um, across all of our businesses, across the decision-making framework that we have. And that's, Yes, women is a pillar of that inclusive framework, but we, as Tara alluded to earlier, we need to look really deeply into what that means to us and, mm. and create inclusivity and diversity across the whole industry and realistically across our cultures. Yeah, mm. Tara, I can see you nodding your head and I know culture is near and dear to your heart. Would you have anything to add to what Emily's just said? Yeah, just furthering on what um been said there, um, when it comes to culture and we're there's two elements I always see and always think about. There's the workplace culture, which I think has been explained really well, you know, really considering what the needs are for men and women. And um, that's, you know, what needs to be applied to the tourism industry. That includes conscious and unconscious biases and all that conversation. But there's also this home culture. And if this feeds the workplace, obviously, mm. if uh, this is an example, you know, if you are role modelling at home, traditional 1950 home life, that is what you're teaching your children and that is what's going to continue to happen. Mm. So, you know, if you're in a relationship right now you and not having, even with kids, you're falling into a pattern. So 
taking a step back very early in your life or if you've you know got kids now you really need to consider your home and the values you're living at home because that will feed into your workplace mm. I know that's a lot deeper than the tourism industry conversation but I really do think it all plays in because if those conversations are happening at home and we're saying hey you know we want to have an equal relationship we want to role model equal and give our daughter the, the best chance and, and gr- grow up a, a man that's you know going to be a, a great contributor to his family and um, and the workplace then those conversations are going to start happening at work mm. and when when that woman um, announces that they're having a baby in the family the unconscious bias in the manager's role is okay won't promote her um, won't take her this don't take that step and then the man says it and um, nothing changes mm. but if the conversations are even had with that manager it says well actually I want to do 50 50 this is what happens then the culture really starts changing that's a bit of a ramble and a lot of you know the things I talk about think about when I'm walking or writing (laughs) the huge thing in that society and culture that feeds into the workplace Um, and that all starts with role modeling and conversations and it can either happen in the industry down down or the family up so yeah that's where there's an opportunity I think yeah I think it's a great point and and I think what we don't want anyone to hear is that the industry itself is to blame for um, you know and and exclusively to blame for inequalities or biases or what we see as room to improve in terms of diversity particularly for women but Certainly, it would be um, it would be remiss of us not to acknowledge that there are certain cultures within, possibly even specifically, the tourism industry that are, that are quite unique as compared to others um, that do favour things that don't necessarily promote women. And you talked about it already, Emily, about being over-indexed in terms of women in the industry, but under-indexed at the top or in executive management or leadership roles. What are the key challenges there? And and I'll ask you that, Emily, because you've already alluded to it. And how can we address those challenges? Wow, Em, that's a really good one. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> um, Goodness, there are there are so many challenges at that level. I mean, I know I, I can reflect on my own journey and my own decisions. You know, I, I was at a, a regional level, had children, decided that an 80-hour work week probably wasn't conducive to spreading the balance of raising a family and um, and working in that full-time role um, and moved home. Um, I think that, that there lies some of the key reasons, I think, why women don't get to the to the leadership level and don't take themselves forward. Um, I have a really really equal partnership at home. I have an extremely supportive other half, but no amount of eighty hour a week work week is mm. is going to be conducive to healthily raising a family. In my personal experience, in my in my opinion, um, so I think that some of those things and and I say that and refer back to what I was saying before about us having this conversation with men in mind as well. I, I don't, don't actually think we should be accepting of an 80-hour work week for mm. anyone. And culturally, perhaps we've always accepted men go off and maybe do those hours. Um, but I actually don't think anyone should be mm. doing those hours if it's at all possible. I mean, there's bad weeks, let's face it. We're all going to have to do it sometimes. But um, I think that week in, week out, that's an unsustainable approach to raising um, the next generation mm. of people. So um, there's that's just one experience and that's certainly my experience of, of why there's perhaps some of that gender imbalance, but I think there'd be so much more out there. And I know, Tara, you've done a lot of work in that space as well. I'd love to hear what you've got to say there <laughs> as, as well. Well, I think your example is a great one because, um, you know, 
that is what happens. A decision has to be made within a family and a change is it's just made. And I think um, one of the ways we can combat that is as leaders in the industry or if you have got families changing, having conversations and saying, well, how can we work with this new change and, uh, you know, opening up those conversations. Um, but 80-hour work week wouldn't work for me if I had kids or not, so um, <laughs> that's fine. Um, but I think one of the other big challenges, and I keep talking about this unconscious bias, right, but it's I think it's one of the reasons why we're seeing that over-index is because we – haven't quite understood the strengths that women bring. And, you know, I'm talking about myself here, if I use myself as an example, I'm, I am a very um, confident woman. Um, I find it hard not to say what I think. Um, I am, you know, will challenge anyone uh, that I want, really. But those are often quite, I know you're laughing, but I, those are often <laughs> traits associated uh, with men. And so men often relate to me, right? So I can be easily pulled along and pulled up. But we haven't quite celebrated the strengths that women bring who aren't me. Um, and having that around the board table, holy smokes, the conversation changes, the dialogue changes, the outcome changes. It's That is what needs to happen. And so really... You know, I think that's a big step as well because we haven't quite said women bring so much more. We we make decisions differently. We analyse things differently and we need that in the boardroom and that hasn't happened yet. What are those strengths of the women who aren't you, as you've put it? What does a woman bring to the board table or to leadership that perhaps a, a man might not? And this is all stereotypical. We need to say that. We need to put that out there because yeah. it's not not the case. And I'm putting myself in a box saying that I don't have these things, but I, I still do have them, I hope. But, I mean, as an example, typically we can show compassion and empathy more, women, and that's really required in decision-making mm. as one example alone. But also, as I said, we actually process decisions differently. We, we analyse things differently. We, make, we take different factors into account. And so if you have all one gender around a table, all making a pretty difficult decision, we're only analysing not all the facts or not taking in consideration a certain angle, that's actually pretty dangerous, mm. you know. So it's it's actually really important to have that gender balance and not just the woman who behaves similar to the man. And at your mm. level, Tara, I know that you've sat on a number of boards. Have you seen that in action where there's more diversity on a board or at an executive level and you've actually seen the impact? And can you talk to us about what that impact looked like, how it, how it might have changed? Yes, I have. I've, I've had all those experiences being the only woman many times um, and that has never, I've never found that intimidating, probably because I've grown up with two brothers. Um, and uh, also, more recently, I've had the pleasure of being in a 50 50 board. And it is just like, I can't explain the difference. I, I didn't really understand it until I'd experienced it. You know, I read about it in, in multiple books or whatever I'm doing or, you know, any research I'm in. And then, um, yeah. A different pool that I sit on, I've had the opportunity and a very, very conscious um, leader in that role. And it's the decision making and the way the conversation flows, the respect around the boardroom. It's it's very different. Mm. And um, yeah, I think it's amazing. And I, I feel like everyone around the board does. So it's definitely 
it's definitely it's definitely happening, which is nice. Great. And what about you, Emily? I mean, you represent Women in Tourism and Hospitality Tasmania on the TICT board. What's your observation of what different genders and diversity generally brings to a board or even just general senior management and executive management positions and, and those sorts of roles? I'd echo everything that Tara has just said. It is, you know, the level of empathy and compassion I think that women bring to the table um, when they sit down at it and make decisions and how they analyse those decisions and perhaps layer in factors, emotional factors that that aren't always looked at easily. Women sort of bring that ability to look at those things and, and balance them when, when they're needed. Um, business, I guess, for a very long time has been pretty black and white. And, you know, there are sayings out there like business is business and, and, and that sort of thing where you, you often people who are able to make the hard decisions in inverted commas are the ones that are raised up. And I think women bring more, um, I'm trying to think of the word, they, they bring more to the table when it comes to making those decisions and perhaps a little softer edge, for want mm. of a better word, where they're actually able to bring in thoughts around how, how, it, how the workplace may be impacted and, and culture may be impacted and perhaps even just layer in some extra steps and how to bring people along the journey and that sort of thing. Um, not to say that men don't or can't mm. do these things. I think women just help support this journey and, and, and can lead that conversation so, so well and so empathetically. Yeah. And again- I should also say... Sorry, I was just say, should I say women can still think factually and straight and all that Absolutely. kind of stuff as well. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think we do need to go on the record to say that there is a, a fair bit of stereotyping here and, and what we're yes. generally Absolutely. trying to talk about is diversity around any kind of environment and, and that doesn't necessarily need to mean um, specifically gendered. But mm-hmm. I think you both make some great points and, and a great point too that, you know, that, that work-life balance thing doesn't necessarily just attach itself to someone with a family and child rearing responsibilities. There are things that paradigms that need to shift within the industry generally to support both men and women. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on something that I we haven't really talked about um, either before the episode or since we've been chatting today, but it would be silly of us not to acknowledge that there's still a huge um gap in terms of skilled labour in the industry. And maybe it's even fair to say just labour generally. A lot of our operators who are listening today are are probably doing it really tough. They don't have enough people on the roster and what an incredible problem to have coming out of a pandemic. But it's also a really, really challenging situation that a lot of our operators a lot of our operators are in, um, given that it's International Women's Day that we're talking about today, what can we be doing to attract girls and women specifically into this great industry that we know and love? Um, Tara, might ask you that first. Mm, great topic to bring up. It's obviously a big one um, for the tourism industry. And there's always, already, I believe, some wonderful work that's been doing that we'd know a campaign to encourage um, some different cohorts into the industry and I absolutely love that campaign work that's going on at the moment in Tassie but with it and specifically to girls and women I think first point in to answer the question would be we need to start role modeling that this industry does actually work for women mm. I don't think that's communicated I don't think we actually understand that you know we've talked a little about not necessarily really emphasise that actually there's a lot of flexibility in this industry, mm. um, which works very well for a lot of women and families. And there are a lot of women in this industry and that's really, I don't feel, feel very well known. So 
communicating that out would, I think, definitely be helpful. And then secondly, we've we've got like, oh, how do I, maybe I should just sit on that, that point, but by communicating out is for the best way. But I, I feel like there is, no, I'm just going to leave that. I'm just going to leave, let, let, let Emily continue. I'm going to say that will do. I'm not going to keep going with my next point. And now you need to guess what Tara's next point was, Emily, and fill us in. Over to you. Right, okay. Uh, well, I'm going to say the beauty of the tourism industry is at an entry level, anyone can be here, right? Anyone can join our industry. And um, the, the bottleneck really, whilst, yes, we do have staff shortages and we have them the world over and, and certainly I know operators firsthand that are struggling in um, the railway as well. So you know, we're all um, in this together trying to get more staff. But at the end of the day, this is not just a, a women and girls problem. And I know we keep labouring this point, but anyone can enter this industry. Mm. And I think we need to throw open the doors and, and invite them in and tell everyone why this industry is absolutely incredible. Um, we know already that so many women are going to join us as we do that because we're over-indexed mm. there already. So we know that naturally they're coming. I don't personally, I, I wonder, is there much we need to do at an entry level to attract specifically women and girls or do we throw open the doors and then work with those women and work out what they need to move up and, and how we make that happen and really focus on those bottlenecks. Yeah, a great point um, from both of you. Thank you so much. I'd, I'd love to um, end before we jump into our big seven questions that we ask each of our guests, just by asking you both, it's International Women's Day today. I hope that um, as people are listening, um, they're sort of already in that mindset of celebrating, honouring and acknowledging the achievements of women and accelerating all the the work that we're doing around the world and certainly within our industry to create and see women's equality. What would you say to an individual person who's listening today? What could they do to be part of that change? Tara, I'll start with you. Just one thing. <laughs> Just the one. Uh, really? <laughs> because I, I always flip-flop between if I was to say something, and I've said this to many women in the industry who I do chat to about how do you kind of break that glass ceiling and how do you, you know, do it all, uh, which I hate. But anyway, that's what we need to get through through this generation. Um, number one, have conversation at home and say, this is what my aspirations are and this is what I want to do and make sure your partner's on board. And num number two, have the conversation at work yeah. because it's the conversations that need to start. And I think that our industry is actually... I, mean, I absolutely love our industry and I think our industry is actually open to this, obviously. Um, mm. So if you can start the conversation, I think managers and people around you should be on board and it's like, look, I still want to keep progressing my career when this happens and don't stop putting your hand up. Keep leaning in, keep going for it because there's no there's no need to stop. Great. Emily, how about you? I, you almost stole my, my thunder there, Tara, because I was simply going to paraphrase and say lean into the discomfort. <laughs> um, as you progress, um, throwing yourself out there and you know, doing things that feel completely unnatural, and I'm going to throw a podcast out there, um, you know, doing <laughs> things that are completely unnatural to you is something that you, has, you have to grasp and lean into. Um, so I would encourage anyone with aspirations to really throw themselves out there. I do also want to mention that we know um, that women find it hard to apply for, you know, the next roll up, they'll look at a job description and they'll go, hey, I can only do eight out of the 10 things that are listed on that job. Um, and in a stereotypical world, when we sit them next to a man, a man is going to look at those eight out of 10 things and go, I've nailed it. So they'll apply and women won't necessarily throw themselves in, in there because they don't perhaps have that self-belief. So I think 
leaning into that discomfort and throwing yourself out there is is really important. Yeah, I think you've made great points, both of you, and and driven home exactly the conversation that this is not a, a man's problem, it's not a women's problem, it's in everyone's um, solution, hopefully, and it's all about diversity generally, not just about women making a change or men making a change. Um, we've all got a, a part to play in this and there's been some great work already done and we're excited to see how our industry is going to continue to promote that work moving forward. With that, though, we will jump into the big seven and we're going to let you off the hook for half of them each. I'll start with you, Tara. The big seven questions are those that we ask absolutely everyone who comes on the Talking Tourism podcast with us. They are ultimately what everyone's going to judge you on. So, Tara, are you ready (laughs) with question number one, your favourite spot in Tasmania and why? Well, mine's a bit, you know, obvious. Uh, Derby, because it's about backing the her of, you know, my the life world. and the, the world. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to say Derby. Cool. Yep. And Emily, we'll go to you with number two, your favourite travel destination anywhere in the world. I feel like I'm going to get so judged for not saying Tassie, but I'm <laughs> going to say Japan. <laughs> I love Japan. I love the culture. I love travelling it. I love everything about it. I don't think anyone's actually said Tassie, not to me anyway, so I don't know that okay. you will get too too poorly judged there. Tara, back to you. Someone's coming to Tasmania for the first time in their lives. They ask you what's the one thing they must experience while they're here. What do you tell them? Um, a cold swim at Wine Glass Bay. Ooh, good one. I would never do it, but I like it. And Emily, mm. you're walking the overland track for five days. You get to take three people with you. It can be anyone in the world, famous or not, living or dead. Who are they and why have you chosen them to come with you? Uh, hubby definitely gets a Guernsey. He needs to be there. Um, besides the fact that he'd shoot me if he didn't get the opportunity to meet David Attenborough, who's coming along oh, too. Good. I don't know how he's going to do the, the overland track, but he's very welcome to join us. Um, and Brene Brown, because usually when I travel that part of the world, I'm listening to her podcast. So, you know, why not? She'll keep you so motivated. Very good. Tara, you're going to jump in the car instead. You're road tripping around Tasmania. What are you listening to while you're driving? Something very chill, probably uh, John Mayer or Jack Johnson or classical music. Cool. And Emily, you've finished your overland track trek. You've arrived at the end and you well and truly deserve a tipple. Um, You've well and truly seen out Feb fast, I think you told me you you did in February. So when you arrive, what's your tipple of choice? Typical Tasmanian, that'll depend on the weather. If it's kind of cool and rainy, then I'll probably head for a Glatzer Dixon Pinot of some description. Um, Otherwise, it'd probably be a Bream Creek, so a Sav Blanc or something yummy that way. Yum. Sounds good. All right. You both get the last question because it's the big one. It's the big debate. And with any luck, we'll get one of you on each side. Curry Tasmanian scallops. Tara, are they a culinary delight or a culinary crime? Delight. Emily? Fight you for it, Tara. It's absolute crime. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we will let Emily and Tara go and discuss curry Tasmanian scallops. Thank you both so very much to Tara Howell and Emily Hopwood for joining us for today's episode of Talking Tourism, especially for International Women's Day 2022. And thank you to our listeners for listening to today's episode of Talking Tourism. Please remember, subscribe, hear more episodes as we release them every two weeks or so, and tell a friend or a tourism colleague to check out Talking Tourism podcast as 
well. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania and today's episode was brought to you with the support of our partner, Moobrew. So a big thank you to them and also to Caleb Miller at Mac40, our audio specialist who produces these episodes. I'm your host, Emma Azon-Giacometti, and I look forward to chatting with you next time. 